Reader by Bibi Berkey. Hello? Is anyone there? Just thought I'd get in touch. You'd gone silent. Listen, the next few chapters will really push things along, but there has to be love, doesn't there? Surely it's about time for love. And death. We'll need some of that too. Right, well, here it is. The Women in the Woods, Chapter 8 The sisters giggled and shivered with excitement as they undid the girl's plaited hair. The girl sat patiently, giving away no emotion. Dominic didn't like what was going on, but his mother had commanded it, and so he accepted the situation. They'd put a chair in the garden, and the maid had brought out the combs, ribbons and laces, and Dominic's sisters had insisted that they'd be given a role in the delicious act of transformation. The Hesiot women were to be christened today. Mrs Hadley had discussed the matter with the Reverend Harrington, and it was agreed that the stranger should become the symbols of a church for the women of God. The leader of this heathen pack, named Suzanne, would be a figurehead, and her beautiful adolescent daughter, whose name nobody could decipher, was to be trained in the ministry. It was mid-July. The morning heat was building, and a parasol had been placed above the girls' heads so they could work more comfortably. The young Hesiod had been undressed and washed by a maid in readiness. She hadn't resisted for one moment against this open-air mauling, but had sat silently while it continued around her. Dominic remained indoors during the public bathing, but emerged shyly to watch the rest of the transformation from a distance. The oldest Hadley girl, Amelia, chose the garment, a pale blue silk dress of her own, worn out and about to be handed on to the needy. The Hesiot girl was cajoled into it. The bodice was not quite tight enough and the hem too short, but it would more than do. The girl looked astonishing, her skin aglow against the lesser sheen of the silk. Next, little Fanny, the youngest sibling, tied a white velvet ribbon round the girl's throat and hummed to herself as she did it, as though she were dressing a doll. But Charlotte, the sister only a year and a half older than Dominic, had insisted on being in charge of the hair. She worked at it until it was smooth as water, and then raised its considerable bulk to the nape of the young woman's neck and twisted it to make a chignon. The sisters stepped back to admire their work. The maid clapped them with genuine admiration. The Hesiot girl sat in the sun, her back straight, her head high. Her eyes sought out Dominic's all the way across the lawn, and he stared back at her and begged her forgiveness under his breath. He had never seen anything as lucent as the strange girl in the pale blue dress. Hesiod sisters, called out the charismatic leader, and the rest of the congregation, the wilting gentlewomen of Louth, 
jerked into an upright, and their eyes bulging and their bodies stiffening. The Reverend Emily Harrington made a grand sweeping gesture with her right arm, and it embraced the whole pale and filigree flock, as ever Dominic felt that somehow it had managed to leave him out. My new sisters in the Lord! Dominic noticed that the foreign women were intrigued, but not exactly enraptured. Mrs. Harrington continued, You must begin thy new lives on this day. It is ordained that ye must. Ye were sent here for a purpose, and today ye shall enter the service of thy Lord. Suddenly she shrieked piercingly, Look upon me! And everyone did, even the usually rather diffident Hesiods. Mrs. Harrington stalked towards the women sitting on the front pew, her arms stretched wide before her. She approached their leader, the woman named Suzanne, and laid a hand on her head. Dominic sat forward, craning his neck, holding his breath. He half expected Suzanne to brush the hand away, but she remained still, and even a little solemn. Thou shalt be named Elizabeth, for thou art a mother to your tribe. Let us welcome Elizabeth to our fold. The congregation, led by the deaconesses, mumbled raggedly the words, Welcome, Elizabeth. And thou, thou child of Elizabeth, thou shalt be named Mariah, for thou art chosen also. Dominic saw that the reverend was laying her hands upon the head of the girl. When she touched the dense hair, it felt to him like a violation. What was the girl's real name? Would he ever know? The reverend Emily Harrington worked her way along the row, conferring on the Hesiod women a selection of the better-known female biblical names, and they all appeared either oblivious to what was going on or distantly amused by it. When she had finished, she returned to her place before her assembly and slumped, spent and panting. She remained prone for so long that many of the local gentlewomen simply shrugged and made to get up and go. The deaconesses were just as bewildered and hurriedly roused everyone into a song. As the hymn ended, Mrs Harrington raised her head, opened her heavy-lidded eyes, and dismissed her flock with the words, My spirit hath entered so many souls on this day that I must retire and recover. Go forth, my warriors and fight my fight. And so they left. The evening after the curious baptism ceremony, Nathan Gentle came to call on the woman now named Elizabeth. It was not his first visit. The first time she had led him from her hut to a nearby glade, undressed him, seemingly enjoyed him, and then simply got up and left him. They hadn't exchanged a single word. 
That was the first of several such couplings, and before he knew it he'd become dependent on them. She was always there, waiting for him, exhibiting neither keenness nor tedium. She was the one to catch his hand each time and lead him away. And her daughter, who was known as Maria, rarely even looked up from her book when she was teaching English to her little sisters. That was how Elizabeth had somehow or other become Nathan's woman, or rather, he became Elizabeth's man. There was still a little light to the day as he arrived at the clutch of huts behind the church and knocked at Elizabeth's door. He waited, then waited some more, and finally pushed the door open to find the place empty. Neither mother nor daughters. The other women were also gone. They were true wanderers, these people. Had they simply felt the urge to move on? cut ties and become free of civilization again. It was nearly nine o'clock when he encountered them. Returning to his cottage on the Hindwald estate, he saw the silhouette of a line of figures crossing the southern field. There was no noise coming from the women, no speech, none of the usual earthy and comradely laughter. He guessed from their direction of travel that they'd probably been back to Fair Spinney. He remained in the shadows. He did not announce himself, however great his urge to be with Elizabeth. The following morning, when Nathan and two of his landsmen were inspecting traps in Fair Spinney, their dogs became wild with excitement at the base of a young beech tree. The men hushed the hounds, who were nuzzling in a frenzy on the ground. One of the men pulled a dog harshly back by its collar, and as they retreated, Nathan casually kicked among the dried leaves to find the badger set that the dogs must surely have discovered. Instead, his foot nudged against something solid, yet giving. He bent to brush away the earth, and his heart jolted at what he saw. A small pale hand was visible among the leaves. His throat tightened and his stomach lurched. He bent reluctantly to brush away some more of the dust and forest debris. He knew then that he was uncovering a grave, that it belonged to a child. He could go no further with his task, but turned, sickened, away from the miserable little mound. Later, it was discovered that the body, dressed in a clean white linen smock, belonged to a Hesiod child, a boy, and nobody had even known that he existed. Hillary was played by Rebecca Charles. The male narrator was Mark Lingwood. Your Most Avid Reader was written by Bibi Berkey with sound editing by Mark Lingwood.
It was made by Tempest Productions and brought to you with the kind support of Rattlesnake Books, an established seller of books, maps, ephemera, art and curiosities. Rattlesnake Books can be found on Instagram, Etsy, Abe Books and Biblio. Thank you.